Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production, where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. Hi, I'm Orlando Eastwood, director of On the Road, The Search for Bigfoot, and you're listening to Aaron's Horror Show. are listening to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. We get to read fiction on the show and talk about some movies, books, you name it. If you like what I do here, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com forward slash Aaron Frail. You'll get some books and other cool stuff for your support. Go ahead and also reach out to me at Aaron's Horror Show at gmail.com, Aaron Horror Show on Twitter, or Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. All right, we got more uh, touristic queue for you. Uh, essentially, Cal's stuck in uh, alien prison, and uh, it's by this creatures that eat people, and then uh, Hayden is... Uh, you know, devising this weird plan to uh, jettison uh, himself onto the planet as cargo uh, with his crewmates after his shuttle is destroyed, and uh, we'll we'll see how that works out for him. All right. Hayden was crammed into a cargo container with Reese and Taka. They were packed together as close as possible because Taka had the idea to fill the unit with as much food and supplies as they could replicate. It was a good plan, considering they were stranding themselves on a planet till Maker could swing back around and get them. They had enough food and water to last about a week for five crew members. That was even considering that Granork's caloric intake was nearly four times that of the average human. They also saved a little space because Taka's internal storage had all the water she needed to far outlive all of, all of you. Once the cargo container was filled and the computer programmed to eject as soon as the turrets moved, Hayden had set the autopilot to fly to the other side of the planet. They had climbed into their cramped space. Hayden's faceplate was smashed against what he assumed was Taka's butt, and we could feel Reese against his back. However, since he had failed out of alien anatomy, he couldn't be sure. It was only the configuration that could fit the three of them since Taka was a good meter taller than him and had to bend over to rest her torso on the supplies. The time for the shuttle to orbit to the other side dragged by slowly as it possibly could. They briefly debated staying out of the cargo container until they had made it to the other side of the planet, but they didn't want to risk the Dervish 2 moving to another place. 
and seeing them earlier than expected. At the same time, they were blinded, which could trigger the plan earlier. It was better to be alive and off-target than entertained. Since the conversation was awkward at best, they spent the trip in silence, and gave Hayden some time to think about his new life in the way he hadn't been really able to confront. His father never really knew about his court-martial and dishonorable discharge from the IF. His brother, Paul, elected not to tell their dad anything and pretended like the prison accident was him getting killed in the line of duty. When Hayden had returned to visit, his dad thought he was a hero, coming back from the dead. Hayden stood at the ent entryway to his father's apartment for the fourth time as in many days. Each time he'd get to the door and turn around. It was a hallway with a floor-to-ceiling glass on the outer, outer wall of the 412th floor of an apartment megastructure in downtown LA. The street below was shrouded by cloud cover. There were all sorts of ships and vehicles whizzing past them. The city lights of the surrounding buildings made it look like a star field. Normally his implants would be awash with advertisements, but he had turned them off in favor of the noise and sights of the city. Hayden grew up in LA and loved to explore the urban area. The buildings in downtown cluster of Los Angeles were behemoths that towered high above the land below. Walkways connected all of them together. People could spend their entire life indoors. The megastructures that came to an abrupt end at the coastline. The mansions of the super elite and ultra rich had the Pacific on one side and the skyscrapers potent of the skyline their backdrop. The few public beaches left in the city were accessible only by permit and people had to wait years to get a pass. Even if you were lucky or rich enough to afford to buy one from a scalper, they were crowded 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. The ocean itself was filled with boats, artificial private islands, floating ledger platforms, and all sorts of commercial activity. It was not the picture of serenity that he saw in Earth's early films he loved so much. Part of Hayden's obsession with 20th and 21st century media was how few people there were on the planet. A family could pack up and go to the beach whenever they wanted. It was paradise. There were planets gathered throughout the galaxy where humans still had not overcrowded the place. Some had harsh, dreary conditions, and only pioneers looking for freedom or quick cash would dare visit them. Others were paradise planets, where the temperature was mild and the bugs would rarely bite. However, none of them were Earth. There was something about being connected to his ancestral homeworld. Even though life bigger than a microbe would die out pretty quickly if they didn't ship in resources from other planets, Hayden still felt a connection to the place. He hesitated at the door. He was taking a significant risk by even attempting to reach out to his family. They thought he was dead, and there was a chance they once found out he wasn't. Paul would call the authorities. Hayden was, after all, supposed to be spending the rest of his natural life on an asteroid mining prison. He also slaughtered a group of Ill innocent villagers. His crime and his death were both untrue, but he didn't expect Paul to know that. All his brothers were hard-working citizens. Most served in the greatest military the galaxy had ever known. They were men of honor, and even Paul, who went the teaching route, was a man of discipline. His classroom was a tight ship, 
and he held students to a high standard. Hayden was the disgrace of the family. He didn't suppose that a plan to steal the super-secret prototype would help that image. The only thing that would stop Paul from turning Hayden into the authorities was they wanted to preserve their father's delusion that they were all men of honor. Had lies not been told on both sides, Hayden may not have risked attempting to see them. However, since he knew Paul wouldn't want to be cause of a scene for his father, it was a safe bet that he'd keep the secret too. Hayden finally gave in and rang the buzzer. A screen appeared on the doorway and Paul's face was staring back at him. His brother was older than Hayden, and he could see flecks of grey in his brown hair. Paul was thinner and wore glasses. Even though corrective eye surgery was cheaper than corrective lenses, his brother insisted on wearing them. He's always a bit pompous. Though Hayden knew the real reason why Paul never joined the military, it was a heart condition that was too expensive for his family to correct. The IF wouldn't pay for anything you had going in, just what you got going out. Then it was the best health care on the planet. Lifelong preventative medication was pretty much a guaranteed rejection from the IF. However, it didn't stop Paul from applying year after year. Hayden thought that the drug companies were a big sham. Every medical condition could be fixed, but permanent fixes cost money, whereas drugs were cheap. Why remedy something when they could sell medication to someone their entire life? Get one large sum of money, or get many small sums through a whole lifetime that would lead to an even bigger pile. Now he had been running with pirate crew, he realized just how screwed up Earth culture was. At least when they stole something, they did it to people's faces. Paul, Hayden smiled. You look good, like the new glasses. Thicker rims look good on you. You're supposed to be dead, said Paul quietly, and looked off to the side. The rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated, Hayden joked. What? <laughs> Nothing. It's an ancient Earth author. Uh, but seriously, is, is Dad here? I was hoping to see him. He's sleeping. Hayden knew he was lying. Start, start banging on the door to wake him up? I think he'd want to see his war hero son who almost died in combat. Y you should leave, said Paul. I, I don't know what you've been up to, but I want you to leave Dad out of it. Trust me, Hayden said. I'm not here to get you or Dad in trouble. I'm only here to see my father after years of not being able to contact him. I know how you intercept my mail and all my communications from prison, but I'm not mad about it, and probably would have done the same thing. But not being allowed to even tell him I care? That's unforgivable. I'm not the one that betrayed the family. The words didn't hurt as much as the thought that if Dad ever found out about what actually happened on Negromoto, he'd be honored by his son's bravery. But Hayden couldn't tell him the truth. While the military had a strong tradition in their family, there were lines that would never be crossed. No one in Hayden's family could hide behind the excuse of just following orders if their morality was put into question. Hayden understood the reason for Paul's hatred. However, Hayden could do nothing to change it, and if living with three older brothers had taught him one thing, it was how to bear the scorn of a sibling. His father was the one whose opinion mattered. Who are you talking to? Hayden heard his father's raspy voice. It had gotten worse over the years since Hayden last spoke to him. No one, Dad. You and Josh keep eating. Hayden's heart pounded. Josh was there, too? He must have had some shore leave. The shipyards at Deltonis kept him busy. Even though there wasn't a war going on, 
VIF was still the biggest fleet. Judge, Hayden yelled, it's me! Hayden? Josh's face came into view on the screen. He was squatting all muscle, and even though he worked in microgravity conditions most of the day, wasn't any less fit. His career military brother would have given Hayden a piece of his mind. Unlike Paul, Josh would tell Hayden he didn't like him to his face, most likely try to break it, and then buy him a beer afterwards. However, before Hayden could spend his evening in a bar with a broken nose, their dad pushed both of his brothers out of the way. Hayden walked through the door moments later. Hayden was brought to full attention from his daydream when his implant alerted that they're in full visual range of the Dervish II. However, there was no telling if the ship was even looking for them. So there was a tense moment where nothing happened. Their shuttle continued on its trajectory to land in the ruins of the base. He worried for a moment the Dervish II had already kidnapped or killed the captain and Grand Orc when nothing happened. However, after an unusually long time, the blast finally came. Their shuttle exploded and they rattled around as the cargo container was flung towards the planet below. From the unit's spin and the bumpy ride in the atmosphere, the cargo didn't make much of a clean break as they would have liked. A split second later, they would have gone up in flames themselves. However, the timing and uncontrolled spin were technically good for them because they really did look like wreckage being flung from the shuttle. But it was terrible in the sense that they were a high probability that they would all die when they hit the surface of the Prina. However, they got lucky again. Since the parachute didn't deploy because of the spin, a set of large airbags expanded and turned the cargo container into a large bouncing ball. Most of the impact would be absorbed by the bags. However, a tear in the bags, rocky terrain, and even just being tossed around in the inside could do them in as well. If he survived, Hayden would have to talk to Cal about auto land boosters for the pods. She didn't grumble too much about having to buy another shuttle. They hit the ground and bounced high into the air. They were thrown around in a jumble of food and supplies. Their bodies smashed into one another. Hayden's helmet cracked and air leaked from his suit. He was lucky they had reached the ground by the time that happened. When it was all over, their water was punctured and the food was wet and trashed. Reese had an antenna impaled in his shoulder from the beacon they had packed to notify the dervish of their location. Taka had both laid crust under a box of heavy equipment that had come loose. Aiden was the only one with minimal damage. A few cuts on his face from when the headgear shattered, and a sore ribcage from when Taka slammed into him during one of the bounces. He was lucky that the IF upgrades that made his bones stronger than an average human weren't the kind that could they could take away without killing him, or else he would have broken a lot more during the tumble. He turned first to Reese, who looked like he was about to pull out the antenna. Whoa, buddy, Hayden said. Half no will mount you on a wall if you pull that out. It'll cause more bleeding. You expect me to stay here with it? Reese yelped. Hayden found the med kit and dosed him with painkillers. It looks like the wound is not gushing now, and it might be the only thing preventing you from bleeding out. We won't know until we can get you into a scanner and cut it down so you can move around. But don't pull it out. Hayden tossed Reese a multi-tool and went to Taka, who seemed to be in a meditative trance. He wasn't sure he could be that calm if his legs were in the same predicament, but Taka's species was so stoic when they first escaped from prison, he thought she had a lobotomy. It wasn't until he saw her cry during It's a Wonderful Life. Even her tear ducts were designed to conserve moisture, a single bead of mud. Taka, Hayden said, stay awake. She didn't open her eyes. 
I am in topor for the healing process. I cannot move my legs. That's because of this box, Hayden said as he hefted it out of the way. What was underneath wasn't a pretty sight. Her legs were crushed and bent around at unnatural angles. He shuddered at the thought of how much pain she must be in right now. Uh, let me splint those. No, said Taka. We need to bury them in the sand and my body will do the rest. <laughs> At least let me use some pain care. Please. You have, unless you have that goop that hath null secretes, your drugs will do nothing for me. My body will do the healing on its own. All right, Hayden said to each their own. Hayden turned to the door of the cargo unit. They were lucky it wasn't door side down. Even though it was upside down, he didn't feel like climbing, or worse, cutting his way out. As soon as he cleared enough the mess to slide the door open, the press of the heat of the day hit him. Taka shed his pressure suit for a more appropriate tether closing he replicated before they stuffed themselves into the death trap. Reese had finished cutting down the antenna to where it barely stuck out on either side. He also cut his pressure suit off. They dragged Taka out into the desert and buried her legs in the sand per her request. Reese sat down and pulled out one water container that survived. He took a drink. Hayden drank two and filled a portable unit. They offered it to Taka and she said, You take it. I need less water and torpor. Hayden looked through the wreckage for the weapons crate, but all the weapons were damaged and useless. He climbed on top of the container and glanced around. They were in a canyon with towering cliffs on either side. There was a few scrubby plants that grew in the shadows of the rocks, but not much else. Hayden could see smoke in the distance. He wasn't sure if it was a sh ship or the bombardments. Either way, going anywhere was better than staying here. He told Reese to stay with Taka. There was no objections. Hayden asked him to radio if they got into any trouble. He turned towards the wreckage of the smoke and began to scale the canyon wall. All right, that is all we have for you today. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>